How do you follow that? It was so joyful, wasn't it? it was so joyful. Loved, loved watching the kids uh, sing that story. And, uh, and they ended it with, go tell it on the mountain. And the it is that Jesus Christ is born. And it's the reason, that the, the reason behind those words in that song, go tell it on the mountain, was because the angel told the shepherds, this is the good news of great joy that I'm bringing you. And so the angel said to them in Luke chapter 2, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. The good news, that's the gospel. The good news that God sent his son Jesus to the earth to be born of a virgin, to live a sinless life, to die on a cross, God, all of our sin was placed on him, and so the wrath of God came down on Jesus, and that was the punishment for our sin, because the punishment is death. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus took that punishment, that's what was placed on him, he died. He was buried, and on the third day, rose from the dead. They put him in a tomb, they covered the tomb, and on the third day, he came out with his new resurrected body, proving that he was who he said he was. He was the Son of God who came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to save us from our sins. That's the good news. And it's good news of great joy. And it's the great joy that I want to think about this morning with you. The great joy. The word for joy in the original language is kara. I'm giving you this particular word because I want you to see the connection. It's kara. And it comes from the verb Cairo. Maybe you sense the similarity between kara, Cairo. It comes from this verb, rejoice. So joy comes from the action word, the verb to rejoice, which means to express your happiness, which means rejoice means to express your happiness or gladness in who or what gives you joy. Do you know it was many years before I learned this? Many years. I thought rejoicing was singing. I thought rejoicing was, woohoo, you know, like celebrating, which it is. It includes that. But rejoicing is any expression or response to something that gives you joy. So let's think about it together for just a moment. What brings you joy? Think in your mind right now, think of anything. What brings you joy? What is a source of joy for you? Maybe it's babies and children. We think about, you know, our babies and children. Yes, look at those sweet babies. This is back when they listened. Look at that. They, they're so sweet. You got a million, Samuel and Charlie, or Russell and Charlie Benjamin. These are just a few photos of my kids. I didn't want to use other people's kids because it felt like cheating and, you know, might as well use my own. So there's kids. And we had this great, you know, program, this Christmas program where our kids came up here and there was so much joy. I smiled through the whole thing. It was just so joyful to watch them do it. Joy, the, the word for joy, you know what joy is, that happiness, that gladness. To rejoice is a response to that whatever brings you happiness and gladness. Uh, or maybe for you, instead of babies and children, you like, you like puppies and kittens. Maybe, oh, look at that. Yeah, they don't even know it's in their genes to eat each other. But they, look at that. 
It's before they're all marred and run. Like, this is so sweet, little puppy, little kitten. You know, people watch little kitten videos on YouTube for hours. I, I would never do that. But other people do that. I'm actually an animal lover. A lot of people don't know that about me because I don't have pets. But the other reason why I don't have pets is because I have kids. I have too many kids. I can't handle more pets. And, or, or pets, period. I can't handle additional what I don't have pets. You, you, guys are, you guys are bad. You guys are bad. I can't handle more things to take care of, more people. So they're little puppies and kids. And, and maybe puppies and kittens don't do it for you. Maybe you love animals, but you love animals in a different way. Maybe for you, it's more like this. This is a source of joy for you. You see the yes, you get excited. You love the good buffet. It's fresh. It's good, you know. The, the point is, and there is a point. Let me get to it. The point is, Whatever brings you joy, in whatever bring you, brings you joy, your reaction of gladness to that thing or person is called rejoicing. Whatever your reaction is, it's not only singing, although singing is a wonderful expression of gladness to God who brings you joy. Singing is fine, but it may not be singing. For some of you, uh, it may be with your kids, watching your kids who g give you joy. Maybe it's a tear. Maybe it's this calmness, this, this joy that swells up in your heart. It's like a smirk. Uh, maybe it's a shout of exuberation. You're just so glad for whatever it is. You find joy in it. But any expression of gladness or happiness in something that brings you joy, that is what rejoicing is. And do you know the Bible commands us, always rejoice. Rejoice always. In, in Paul's uh, letters to the Philippians or to the Thessalonians, in Philippians 3, he says, uh, Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Remember, you can't rejoice unless you have an object, a source that brings you joy. So he says, rejoice in the Lord. He's being specific. The Lord brings you joy. If you know him, doesn't God bring you joy? Isn't there joy in the Lord? Well, rejoice in the Lord. And then uh, in chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Always rejoice in the Lord and then in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, rejoice always. Rejoice always? Now, it's, it's easy to look at pictures and a program and think rejoice. But life isn't always puppies and kittens and Christmas programs, is it? Does God really want us to rejoice always? How can you always rejoice when there are times of grief and heartache? Think about it for a moment. Does God really intend for you to rejoice always? We live in a broken world. How does God account for brokenness and difficulties in his command to rejoice always? Have you ever been tempted to not rejoice? I have. I, I have, instead of thinking about something that brought me joy, I felt like all I could think about was something that brought me grief and sorrow. Maybe it was the loss of somebody that I love. Maybe I think I'm going to lose somebody I love. Maybe it's a circumstance, a broken relationship, a lost friend, joblessness, 
an illness, an accident, a tragedy. Maybe it's a wayward son or daughter or grandchild or maybe just looking around. You just, there's, there's a lot of temptation to focus on things that don't bring you joy. You know, there's no news like bad news. Bad news sells because it's entertaining. Why is it entertaining? Why do we want to hear the bad stories? Why are we intrigued to hear the negative side of things? It's tempting to not always rejoice, but instead do the opposite of rejoicing. To focus on the things that don't bring us joy. So let me ask you, how does God account for the grief and the sorrow in loss when he tells us, and we know he loves us, rejoice always? How can we rejoice always? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's a really good question. In order to know how he expects us and leads us to rejoice always, we have to understand what rejoicing is not. We have to know what rejoicing always does not mean, uh, which is the next point in, in the outline. Always rejoicing doesn't mean we never grieve. When God gives you the command to always rejoice, to rejoice always, he's not saying that don't grieve. Because remember, rejoicing is an expression of happiness and gladness in what brings you joy. Does he want you to have a permanent smile on your face all the time? A permanent all the time? Yeah, I'm just happy. I'm just happy. I'm just, an optimistic look. Is that what he's expecting? No. Look what Paul wrote to the Christians living in Corinth. I'm going to have to go through this passage to explain it all um, because we, we've, we quote from this passage, but it's quite large. It's a large passage. It's all one idea that he's writing. Actually, it's one sentence. It's more words than your grammar teacher would want you to use in one sentence. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3, says, we are not giving anyone an occasion for offense so that the ministry will not be blamed. Now, in this part of the letter, he's talking to the Corinthians. This is like a.k.a. Pagan Central. This, the, this is a place, a pagan place. This is not like Newton. It's more like New York. It's like Pagan Central. And he's reaching these non-religious, non-traditional people, and he's telling them, now listen, we're giving no one an offense for our ministry, our service to let people know who God is. We don't want to offend any of you. We want you to know the goodness of God, the truth of God. But if you follow God... Life's not going to be all puppies and kittens. And he doesn't want them to get the wrong idea. In this passage, he actually gives us certain tensions. We call them paradox. The, these ideas that how can they both be true at the same time? So he tells them, he's prepping them. He says, so that, no, so that the ministry will not be blamed. Instead, as God's ministers, we commend ourselves in everything. Listen, we're not, we're not hiding parts of life so that you guys get the wrong idea. We're not selling you something. We commend ourselves in everything by great endurance, by afflictions, by hardships, by difficulties, by beatings, by imprisonments, by riots, by labors, by sleepless nights, by times of hunger. You, you want to know how Paul's life turned out after he gave it to Christ? Most of the world would say he's worse off. His life was harder. He had more difficulties, more reasons to not rejoice is the idea. You get the idea. It's, he's experiencing all these bad circumstances in life, even though we're God's ministers. We're following God. We're serving God. 
Sometimes we get this expectation, if I serve God and I do the right thing and I love my spouse and I try to teach the right way and I, I try my best not to, then why would my spouse leave me? Why would my kids leave the Lord? Why is my life falling apart? Why am I not having the job? Why, why is all this bad stuff happening if I'm trying to do it right? Now is when it's getting worse. He tells them, listen, we don't want to offend you and we don't want you to get the wrong picture. If you follow Christ as we are his ministers following him as your examples, it's going to be difficult. Then in verses 8 through 10, he explains how this creates this tension in the Christian life. In verse 8, through glory and dishonor. In life, you're going to have glory. People are going to be like, yes, that was a good job. And you're going to have dishonor. People are not going to like you for the very same thing that someone else thanked you for. Through slander and good report, there's going to be some that say, man, I really appreciate her. And there are going to be others for the same thing, the same perfect person, the same circumstance and say, oh, I don't know about her. I don't know if she really loves the Lord, blah, blah. And they will slander them and gossip about them. Regarded as deceivers yet true, Paul's like, listen, we told the truth to everyone and you know what they accused us of? Of lying. You know how discouraging it is to be falsely accused? Have you ever been falsely accused? How that makes you angry? That's not fair. That's not right. As unknown yet recognized, as dying yet see we live, as being disciplined yet not killed. Have you ever been disciplined so harshly that you just wanted to be like, God, just take me. I'm not going to make it. Just let me die. And then verse 10, as grieving yet always rejoicing. Maybe your translation says sorrowful. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Paul knew there's a difference between rejoicing and grieving. And in every season, in every situation, the point is you can do both. In your circumstance of feeling like I just want to grieve and I'm sorrowful and it's discouraging, in that very same thing, the Bible teaches us there is a reason to rejoice even in that. As grieving yet always rejoicing. Jesus modeled this well when he faced the cross. It always turns back to him. In Hebrews 12, the author tells us, looking only at Jesus, the originator or author and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. As he faced the cross, you tell me, where's the joy in the cross? How could there be joy, a source of joy, a, a reason to rejoice, a reason to celebrate, a reason to express happiness and gladness? You tell me, how in the world can you do that when facing the cross? The cross was a curse an embling of suffering and shame. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He begins to quote Psalm 22. But it's the whole psalm, so you've got to read the whole thing if, to know what he was saying on the cross. How do you find joy in the midst of the cross? It's this idea of always rejoicing. Even in the toughest moments of life, there is a reason for you to rejoice. Because there is a source of joy in every circumstance, every season, every situation. Why? Because you have the Lord. You have Jesus. Jesus is the reason for rejoicing. 
The author of Hebrews tells us to look at his example so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. This is the opposite of rejoicing. The opposite of rejoicing is to focus only on the things that make you feel like, I want to give up. I don't want to keep going. It's not worth it. I can't do it. That's the opposite. And the, the author tells us, God is telling you through his word, look to him. Look to him so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. Remember what he did when he faced toward Jerusalem. He knew like his face, like a flint. He knew he was going to be struck. He looked toward Jerusalem, toward the cross, and with joy in his heart endured. He rejoiced in the Father. He rejoiced in the plan of the Father. He knew that he was about to set people free. He was going to save the drunkards and the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the Pharisees and the, and the Gentiles and those far away. He was going to save them all. People from every tribe and nation and tongue and people. Every people group, every segment on earth. He was going to die in their place even though they didn't deserve it. He rejoiced in that even while he was suffering. We don't have to grow weary or lose heart. You know we can rejoice always because rejoicing always doesn't mean you don't grieve. It doesn't mean, and it also means, it also doesn't mean that we never weep. So grieving is when you're sorrowful over your own circumstances, the things that are tugging at your heart. Weeping in the Bible, if you notice the difference between the two words that are used with rejoicing, Weeping is when you put yourself in someone else's shoes and you're sorry for their pain and their grief. Their sorrow brings a sense of sorrow within yourself. So always rejoicing doesn't mean we never weep. Paul's command in Romans 12, verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Weep with them. Always rejoicing doesn't mean you become an annoying optimist, right? It means that even though there are times of weeping in the same situation, the same person, the same thing, there is a reason to rejoice. And Jesus intends for us to put ourselves in each other's shoes, especially when going through a difficult season. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3, remember the prisoners as though in prison with them. And those who are badly treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. Remember them. It doesn't mean just, oh, remember them. But remember them as if you are in prison with them. Put yourself in their shoes. Now, no one wants to imagine what it's like to be in prison. There are some places in the world right now, right this very second, there are brothers and sisters that we'll meet, we will meet them later, those of us that know Jesus is Lord and Savior, we're going to meet them. We're going to eat with them. There's going to be a big banquet. We're going to hear their stories. We're going to get to know them. There are brothers and sisters right now that love Jesus and are being tortured and persecuted and getting their heads chopped off and going hungry and starving and dying and suffering. And God through his word says, listen, remember them. Right now, remember them. And remember them in such a way as if you are in prison with them. Why? Why would God want us to do that? That sounds very sad. Why? Because to him, we are family. 
And he wants us to put ourselves in their shoes so that we pray for them, we love them, we're encouraged by them, and then when our persecution comes, we can endure. God wants us to weep and rejoice. Rejoice always and weep with those who weep. So rejoicing always is not a command for a permanent smile. It's a choice to always remember that even in the midst of sorrow and grief, we have a reason to rejoice. In every season, in every situation, we have the reason to rejoice, and that reason is Jesus. Jesus is the reason they have to rejoice in prison. Jesus is the reason we have to, re- we have to rejoice even in the midst of their own persecution. So I'd like to give you 10, my top 10 just in the scripture, top 10 reasons to rejoice always. I wanted to give you something practical because you know based on the scripture we should rejoice always. But what are the reasons we have to rejoice always? I want to give you 10. You can write them down uh, or you can take pictures of the screen however you want to do it. But these are reasons the scripture gives you to rejoice always, all the time in any circumstance. Number one, which we've been singing about today, rejoice that Jesus chose to come here. Rejoice that Jesus chose to come here and suffer and die for us. In Luke chapter 1 verse 14, there will be joy and delight for you and many will rejoice at his birth. Many will rejoice. Now technically this is of another birth, but the, the, the angel also gave to the shepherds, we will rejoice in the birth of Jesus coming. Jesus chose to come. Number two, Rejoice that Jesus died on the cross. Jesus really did die. And although that seems sad and and the opposite of a good story, his death is what brought salvation for us. In John chapter 20, verse 20, having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. This is after after Jesus rose from the dead and he shows his crucified but about to be glorious body. He shows them his side, the piercing still there. In the book of Revelation, it shows that the markings of Jesus' crucifixion are present in heaven and, and the angels are rejoicing and there are others in heaven rejoicing. He showed them, look, I died on the cross. And when he shows them that, it says the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So rejoice in that Jesus died on the cross. Number three, rejoice in his salvation. In Luke chapter 10, verse 20, Jesus had sent the disciples out and they were filled with the Holy Spirit at this time uh, doing miracles and signs and wonders. And they were able to cast out demons, which was really cool and really new for them. And so they're casting out demons. They come back. They're all excited. He tells them, however, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You're going to be tempted to look at the spiritual gifting and power that you have, you were able to cast out demons and you might go celebrating that and that may be the good news that you start spreading. The good news is not that Jesus saved you from your your sins. The good news is going to be, look, I set this prayer, I cast out demons, I have power over demons. Don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that God saved you. You know what's better than people being, uh, having demons taken out of them? Is having the Holy Spirit brought into them. That's better. Because demons can leave you alone for a while, and if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, it's still going to end badly. Whether they come back sevenfold or you die and stand before the judgment. 
So Jesus tried to bring their focus back to, listen, don't rejoice. I mean, they probably felt like superheroes. I mean, really, like they had magical powers. That's, that's how they felt. Like, this is amazing. Don't rejoice over that. Rejoice that your name is written in, in heaven. So rejoice in his salvation. Number four, rejoice in his grace. In Luke 19, we have the story of Zacchaeus, who will forever be known as the wee little man. You know, if it were on earth, I bet no man would like that. But, and Zacchaeus hurried and came down. So he comes down, down the sycamore tree, and it received him joyfully. Why? Because Jesus received him. And he thought of all people, the Messiah is not going to receive me. And he gets up in that tree to see him. He looks on him with faith. The Holy Spirit tells Jesus about Zacchaeus and he looks up and he says, hey, come down. And salvation has come to your house today, which is a wonderful play on words considering Jesus' name means salvation. And Zacchaeus was overjoyed because of Jesus' grace to him. That even to a sinner like him that wouldn't belong in the religious temple, he was considered unclean and unrighteous. The righteous one received him. So rejoice in God's grace. Number five, rejoice in the gospel message. In Acts chapter 13, when the Gentiles, and it's hard for us to imagine Gentiles but right now, but just imagine, and the people that were separated from God, they didn't have God's promises, they were not religious, as far as God's people were concerned, they were surely condemned. They did nothing right, they weren't right, they couldn't be right according to all the rules that you had to follow to even begin in the right camp, they were total outsiders. But when those outsiders heard this, that this is the gospel message, they rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord and all who had been appointed to, turn to eternal life believed. They rejoiced that the good news was not just for the Jews, but it was for them as well. I don't have to become Jewish. I don't have to follow all the laws and the commands. This is unbelievable. This is not like anything I've ever heard. This doesn't match any other religion. You're telling me God came down here to die in my place and I just have to turn from my sin and believe in him? That's what brings me salvation? I don't have to fix it first? I don't have to do all these religious rites first? And they rejoiced. And those that believed were saved. In Philippians... Paul's talking about this situation where uh, these guys didn't like Paul. They didn't like his ministry. They were the critiques. Like today, they'd be the ones on YouTube with the fire and the, and the screen. as like, oh, this person's a, a horrible person even though he wasn't. There are false teachers out there, but not everybody's a false teacher just because they don't fit your culture. But there are people like that. Well, there were people like that in Paul's day. And they talked badly about Paul. And he's in prison. He's on house arrest. It's not like the prison we think of when, when he was singing in the midst of the dungeon. When he wrote his prison epistles, he was, he was on house arrest. So he had some luxuries. He had friends. He had people coming and going. And he writes the letters. And this is one of the letters. And he says, listen, when I think about those guys that are in spite of me to try to hurt me and jab at me, they're preaching the gospel, they're, their ministry is, is continuing on in the city. When I think of them, the haters... It doesn't bother me. Why? 
What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. I'm rejoicing even in the midst of persecution and even in the midst of uh, being falsely accused and all that. I rejoice because they are preaching Christ. And that's what brings me joy. Me not being in prison and being liked is not what's going to bring me joy. For most people, that is what would bring us joy. We want to be accepted. We want to be liked. We want to be, you know, we want to have a good day. We don't want to be in prison. That's for sure. We don't want to be captive. And Paul's like, freedom and all that, that's not what's going to bring me joy. You know what I rejoice in? The gospel message is being shared. People are hearing the good news and they're being set free because God Almighty is saving them and bringing them to life and opening up their eyes and their ears. The church is praying for people to be saved. Do you know that if all of us in this room dedicated time in our week to pray for the lost, lost will be saved? And do you know that if we decide to not pray, God's going to move in other ways with other people, not with us? Paul was like, I'm just glad the gospel's being praised, the, the gospel's being shared. So rejoice in the gospel message. Also rejoice that Jesus powerfully works among us. In Luke chapter 13, verse 17, when he had said these things, speaking of Jesus, all his adversaries were humiliated, but the whole crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things he was doing. The whole crowd was seeing what Jesus was doing and they were rejoicing. Do you know Jesus still works today? He works among us. He works in our hearts he works through our prayers. He works through our ministry efforts. He works through you. And they were rejoicing because they knew, even though there were some that were humiliated, they hated Jesus. They just wanted to murder him. They couldn't stand him. But there were others that just were rejoicing. Why? Because they knew God was working amongst us. So rejoice that Jesus powerfully works amongst us. Number seven, rejoice in one another's growth. Rejoice in your fellow brother or sister's maturity. Uh, there are lots of verses I could share, but Colossians 2 verse 5, For I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well ordered you are in the strength of your faith in Christ. I rejoice in your maturity and your growth. John wrote about this in 2 and 3 John. He wrote about how, like a father, he's like, there's nothing that brings me more joy than to know that my children are walking in the faith. You guys are walking with the Lord and growing with him and obeying him. So rejoice in one another's growth. Number eight, rejoice in shared ministry. Rejoice that other people have a ministry different than your own. That it's not all on you and the body isn't, uh, doesn't lack diversity. That there are other ministries going on that coincide with what God's doing in the, in the, as in the whole, in the body. John 4 verse 36, the reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. There are going to be some that sow and some that reap. Since we have a lot of farmers in here, I feel like everyone understands. But just in case, don't think needle and thread sowing. It's like casting out seeds in a field. Someone's going to do that work, and someone else, when, uh, when harvest time comes, is going to uh, receive those, the, the fruit. It's going to, the harvest. It's going to take up the, the fruit. So Jesus is saying, in my design for my people, some of you are going to witness to somebody and you'll never know 
how God draws them to himself. And someone else may be the lucky one that goes and witnesses to them and shares them and they come to Christ. And it's not all on you. Rejoice that it's the sower and the reaper. They can rejoice together. It's not all on me. It's not about me. It's us working together. Rejoice in that, in that shared ministry. And number nine, the least crowd favorite, rejoice in suffering for Jesus' sake. This is one of the harder ones. The hardest one, probably. Rejoice when you suffer. In Acts chapter 5, verse 41, I love this story. They had a really cool response uh, to the people that were trying to get them to quiet down about Jesus. I love it. I, I don't want that to happen to me, but if I ever have to deal with this, I hope I'm like, look, dude, you let the chips fall where they may. You could do whatever you want. Between you and God, you, you decide. As for me, I cannot stop preaching and teaching about what I've seen and heard. I can't stop telling about the name of Jesus. That's these guys. After they were persecuted, after they were disciplined, it says they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. They were treated badly, dishonored, disrespected, and they went away like... Woo! Can you believe that? That God would consider us to join him in his ministry to be persecuted for his name's sake. That I would actually be one of the blessed ones to suffer for him. And they rejoiced in that. 1 Peter 4, 13. Peter's been talking about suffering. If, you, if you've ever studied Peter's letter, suffering is a big theme throughout Peter. Don't look at suffering like, oh, what's going on? God's plan failed. Why am I suffering? What, the Christian life is about suffering? Yes. Don't look at it like it's some strange thing. You're going to suffer. And he says, instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. You know what he's reminding them? Let's say that you have to suffer for Christ. For Jesus' name. Let's say you have, to, um, you have to say, no, I will not officiate a gay wedding. And they sue you. And they sue your church. And all of a sudden, bad stuff starts happening. And a third of the people leave. Because not everybody here is really in it to the end. And you feel like this is a, what's going on? It's lost. And you start feeling like, what's, this, this shouldn't be happening. When that happens, remember, when Jesus comes back, you will not regret standing your ground and saying, Jesus is the Lord and there is no other. And his word is true and I can stand on nothing else. This is where I am. This is where I'll stay and it will not change. You won't regret that when he returns. And that's what Peter's trying to remind them. The glory is going to be revealed. You can rejoice now. You're definitely going to rejoice then. You won't regret suffering for his namesake. So when life's pushing you lower, lift your praises higher. When, when you feel discouraged and down, the, the harder it presses on you, sing louder. Rejoice in the Lord. Sing a new song. Some, sometimes you just need that song. 
You know what I mean? Have, ever, have any of you ever been sad and discouraged and depressed and felt hopeless and thought, man, I'm not thinking about anything that's caused, and you hear that song or you remember that song from childhood? It could be a simple song. It could be as simple as, uh, Jesus loves me, this I know. But you start saying it in your heart, and all of a sudden, it's like a flood of water and joy comes over you, and, and you remember the truth, and you, you just rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because that joy in him is supernatural. When your gaze is faced, when you're, when you're faced toward Jesus, when you keep, keep your gaze uh, fixed on him, that joy that he brings, you will rejoice in the Lord. You'll be able to rejoice in him. So when life's pushing you lower, lift your praises higher. Choose to celebrate the good even when you go through a bad time. And number 10, rejoice because it's God's word to you. It's his best for you. God tells us, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. He wouldn't tell us that if that's not exactly what we need. That is what we need. If you're discouraged and you feel like I have no source of joy, if you have Christ, you have a reason to rejoice. Remember him. Rejoice in him. Rejoicing is about celebrating Christ Back to our story, the, the, the angel, the angel in Luke chapter 2. And so the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. Does the birth of Jesus bring you joy? It should remembering that he chose to come here. Have you suffered? Have you been uh, abandoned? Jesus has been abandoned. Have you been forsaken? He's been forsaken. Have you been lied to? Have you been betrayed by someone close to you that you loved? He's been betrayed. Have you lost family members? He's lost family members. Have you been persecuted? He's been persecuted. Have you, been, have you suffered? Have you suffered physical ailment? But don't forget Hebrews. None of us have gone to the point of shedding our own blood innocently to the very end. He understands suffering. And he came here to suffer and die to give you joy, to be your joy. This is good news of great joy. And in the Christmas season, this is the reason for rejoicing. And on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day, I'm going to try and I, I invite you to join me. Christmas is one of the times of the year that people that never want to join this gathering will be open to coming to church. And I want to invite you to pray for those people. Your neighbors your coworkers, your friends, invite them. We have invites at the back. This isn't just to fill up this room. We really want to share this good news. On Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, I will share the good news. Kyle's going to sing about the good news. We will have the good news all night, all morning. We're going to share that. That is one of the unique times that we can bring people in to hear the good news. It's not the only way. We need to be the church and go out and be the church. But we have an opportunity this Christmas season to tell people the real reason for Christmas.
the real reason for the joy that we have, and it's in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. You are our reason for rejoicing. You give us joy. When you're merciful and gracious to us, when you don't treat us according to our sins and deal with us according to our iniquities, when you look on us with joy, you're glad that we're with you, even as imperfect as we are. You are our source of joy. And so we rejoice in the Lord always. In every season and every situation, you are the reason we rejoice. And we rejoice for you, in you this Christmas season that Jesus was born, that you came to the earth to suffer and die, and you rose from the dead. You showed that you have the power over death, and only in you can we be set free from our sins. Only in you can we be made right with God the Father. We love you so much only because you first loved us. You bring us joy. We pray that you would give us great rejoicing this Christmas season so that other people will see it and they can join us in the joy. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.